Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast. My name is Reese, and today we're going to be talking about all the things that are going to be on the agenda for the next week. Uh, and some of, uh, well, the things that have been in the headlines over the last couple of days that will spill over into the next week's headlines and news stories because this is going to be a bit of a roundup one. I thought I'd start the week uh, on Monday with a, a look forward on um, on the Politics Unboxed podcast. I thought, yeah, why not? Haven't done that for a while, so we will give it a go. So that is what we're going to have to look through today. On the episode, we're looking at uh, the PM's announcement, which is going to be later today, uh, news from the Middle East with Benjamin Netanyahu uh, leaving post, essentially. He's no longer going to be the PM of Israel. And then some other things around Northern Ireland and the G7. So all that to come on today's episode of the Politics Unboxed podcast. So yes, let's first turn our attention to the announcement that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to be making later today because he's going to be saying whether the 21st of June easing of restrictions, the final stage of of easing of restrictions, is going to be going ahead because this would have been um, well, I say would have been, it might still be, but as of the, the speech on announcing the, the four stages of, of lockdown easing, that roadmap the Prime Minister announced back in, what, February, March, uh, the 21st of June was going to be the final one, uh, all moved, nightclubs, all social settings reopening, um, and, well, that has been cast repeatedly into doubt over the last couple of weeks, I remember when first we were hearing stories uh, saying that the 21st of June wouldn't be be going ahead, we had the government issuing flat denials saying, no, 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 this is still our, our plan, very much so, and we will stick to it. And then it was, well, we're considering all our options, and then it went to, well, nothing's been taken off the table. And then when it was being talked about, is the, is the delay happening? Well, we're considering it very, very carefully, and we'll have to make uh, a decision closer to the time. Um, and allegedly... Uh, as of yesterday, Sunday, a final decision had not yet been taken with the BBC and others reporting that a delay of up to four weeks is what's on the table. So four weeks of staying at stage three or some hybrid between step three and step four, maybe with um, a couple of exceptions with large groups, things like that, maybe weddings and and other hospitality events maybe go forward, but some things don't. We'll have to wait and see. But... Yeah, as of as of yesterday, according to the Prime Minister, no final decision had been taken. So we're really waiting for um, for today's press conference. Uh, speaking to the Andrew Marshall, BBC, the Foreign Secretary and First Secretary of State Dominic Robb said that the government quote don't want to yo-yo in and out of measures. Um, so this is the 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 thing they're going to try and avoid. What a lot of people are seeing is this is the trade-off between um, two to four weeks of extension now and then uh, never having a lockdown again, or come out of lockdown as planned on the 21st, and then potentially two, three weeks down the line, four weeks, however long it is down the line, back into some form of lockdown because infections are soaring and cases in resulting in hospitalizations are soaring. So it is a tough trade-off, and it's one the government would really rather not make. No government wants to have to be put in this position where they have to make a trade-off between uh, these scenarios. 
uh, and I'm sure it is being given careful consideration, and I do hope that the rights decision, whatever that may be based on the data, is reached. Obviously, I would love to uh, see the end of, of social distancing and restrictions. It would be brilliant. Um, but if it would be at cost to potentially thousands of lives, um, I think I could stomach a, a little extension to it. Um, in order to make sure that we have our, our vaccination program on track and that we have the data supporting an, um, a full reopening. Because there is data from Public Health England which say that there are, are varying degrees of coverage for the um, the coronavirus vaccine. So I didn't go into detail on whether Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson and the other one, there is a fourth one I think, uh, but I can't remember which one it is, um, but vaccines as a whole, and they looked at two strains, the alpha strain and the delta strain of coronavirus, uh, formerly known as the Kent and Indian variants. And if we look at the alpha strain, what was the Kent variant, the one that scuppered Christmas, really, um, after your first dose, they reckon, public health England say, you have about 50% immunity, or 50% of the population have uh, immunity. After your second dose, then they reckon you're up to about uh, 90, 90 90 to 95% immunity. And that's very good. That's very promising. However, if we look at the Delta strain, then the immunity after the first dose is down at about 30%. For the second dose, it's still up there in the high 80s, low 90% of coverage. But when we're seeing plenty of, of UK adults still only with the first dose of vaccines, and some, such as myself and many people my age, with no doses of the vaccine, uh, and the coverage allegedly, for the Delta variant on one dose of the vaccine is around 30%. That is more than enough to have a serious wave of infections. Now, hopefully we would see uh, any infections that do come of it be very much mitigated by the vaccination programme that we have. It has been one of the more successful ones worldwide, and we have seen good uptake. And I have no doubt it will continue to move on at pace. However, if it isn't quite there, then we start to get into murky waters. Uh, and I think at this point, with Public Health England putting out that sort of data, the government is edging towards a delay. And I would not be surprised at all if Boris Johnson comes out later today and says, well, we're having a delay to the restrictions ending. Um, the Prime Minister has said previously that uh, the government must be cautious uh, because they want to make sure that any final tearing up of the restrictions is irreversible. They can't just bring them back in, like I said, three, four weeks down the line because things have got worse. They want to make sure we're in a place where we don't have to look at them again. Um, and potentially there is uh, room for a hybrid ground with um, some restrictions being removed on capacity, uh, with face coverings and social distancing remaining in place and an extension of reviews as we enter maybe a, a fifth step and a sixth step towards um, the the removal of these lockdown restrictions. But, however, uh, there is always bad news coming with the um, the announcement of these, these lockdown things. Um, and there is a... Um, well, there is a, a source from the Department of Health and Social Care, which has had a graph showing the current rate of infections, the rolling average of cases per day and well it looks astonishing because down in sort of 
late April, early May, we were looking at next to no new cases. Well, I say next to no new cases a day. We're still looking at hundreds of new cases a day. But as of now, the most recent data, we are well over 5,000, well into the six, six, 7,000 cases a day nearly. And if the current rate of increase continues, there is estimated to be more than 15,000 cases a day by the 23rd of June. And if we're having that with the vaccine coverage that is being mooted by PHE, Public Health England, then an, a, an easing of restrictions is not on the cards. And I would expect to see the government turn around and say, well, no, we need to keep lockdown in place and just for a little bit longer so we can make sure that we break the back of the coronavirus so it doesn't come back. Uh, because that would be sort of the worst of all worlds, go through all this and then, just when we thought we were out of the woods, um, fall at almost the final hurdle and end up back where we started in January or, or something ridiculous. So, first story over and done with. Uh, not a particularly optimistic story, depending on your, your, your point of view. No matter what your point of view, it's not a particularly optimistic story. But uh, it is one that needs to be told, and we'll find out much more about it later today at Boris Johnson's press conference. Um, now, another new story. This one, not UK-related, so um, bear with me. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here from the UK News Review title of this episode. But it is very important, because Benjamin Netanyahu is out. He is no longer the Prime Minister of Israel. Right-wing nationalist leader Naftali Bennett is the new Prime Minister who is leading a national unity government. Uh, he is the leader of the, uh, I believe it's the Yamina party, um, who were the last, well, who who were the, really the, the last party to, to join this national unity coalition. Uh, and he is the new Prime Minister. They are quite a small party, Yamina, but um, they only have seven members, and only six of them are going to be in the the new government, but their power and their influence meant that Naftali Bennett is going to be the new Prime Minister to lead this government of national unity for two years before handing over to Yair Lapid, who is the leader of the centrist party, and up until this vote in the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, um, leader of the opposition, uh, leader of Yeshatid party, uh, who will take over for the remaining remaining two years of the term. Uh, now, this this is really an unprecedented coalition of parties, and um, out of the 120 members of the Knesset, uh, again that Israeli parliament, which I had so much fun saying the last time I did an episode on this, um, 60 voted in favour of this coalition and 59 voted against, which means it went through by the smallest majority possible. Um, and it means that Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's longest-serving prime minister, he's been prime minister since 2009, and he previously had a three-year term from 1996 to 1999, um, he's out after four elections in, I think, about two years uh, in fact, less than that. Four four elections in what one and a half years, essentially. Um, no, two two years uh, from April twenty nineteen to March of twenty twenty. It's it's the end of Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister, but he remains a power player in Israeli politics. He will remain. Uh, the leader of the Likud party, who remained the largest party in the Knesset with 35 seats, I believe. 
That's over double what Yeshatid, the nominally largest party in this new rainbow coalition of governments of national unity, have, who have 17. Um, and it's it's not the end of Benjamin Netanyahu. He will, yeah, he, he will be staying along. He will be staying as leader of the opposition. The Likud party will not get rid of him. He has his supporters in that party. Uh, the only way he can be removed as leader of the Likud party is if he chooses to fall on his sword and just walk off into the sunset, and that is something I, I just don't see Netanyahu doing. He's not the, the kind of person who, who looks uh, to be like that. But this new government will face challenges. It is a government unlike anything in Israel's 73-year history. Um, it includes the first independent Arab party to be part of a ruling coalition in Ram. Uh, it also has um, other left-wing, non-Arab Israeli parties. But Yamina and the New Hope, who are also in this coalition, are staunch supporters of Jewish settlement in the West Bank, which uh, is occupied by Israel and is, is meant to be, essentially as part of the, the UN mandate when Israel was set up, Palestinian land. Again, on social policies, some parties want to advance gay rights, uh, some want to recognise same-sex marriages, but others in the, the coalition, noto- notably Ram uh, and Islamist party, are extremely against this. Now, this will be... I'm struggling to find the right words without putting expletives in there for how unstable this government has the potential to be. Uh, and it, it looks like going to be unstable, but they have united around a common enemy and Benjamin Netanyahu out the door. He is gone. To go from one ousted leader to another, because as we near the final days of Arlene Foster's um, premiership as First Minister, in fact, today is expected to be the final day of Arlene Foster's time as First Minister of Northern Ireland. She's expected to resign today, Monday the 14th of June. Um, And once she does that, there is a ticking time bomb under the future of the Stormont executive because the parties within that executive need to nominate and elect a new First Minister to replace her. And as part of the power-sharing arrangement, uh, the DUP will get the rights to nominate the... um, Well, uh, to get the right to nominate the First Minister. And Sinn Féin, the largest nationalist party, uh, must nominate a Deputy First Minister... uh, Sorry, a Deputy First Minister to serve alongside them. However, there are murmurings from within Sinn Féin, with a Sinn Féin source saying that after a series of meetings with the new DUP leader, who is Edwin Poots, incidentally he's not putting himself forward to be the new First Minister, but after meeting with Mr Poots, they don't believe the DUP will deliver on an Irish Language Act, which was part of the commitments um, given in what was called the New Decade New Approach uh, files and, and agreement, which was how the Stormont executive got back on its feet in January of 2020 after three years of nothing. The Stormont executive essentially didn't exist for three years. Yes, the MLA still got paid, uh, but they were doing no work, and there was no representation in Northern Ireland, and now we are in danger of it happening again. Sinn Féin are saying that Edwin Poots and the new 
leadership team at the DUP are being disingenuous by saying publicly that they will honour the commitments made in that document, whilst Sinn Féin believe that they will not deliver on any Irish language legislation. And their position is being made clear that nomination for First Minister and Deputy, Deputy First Minister has to be accompanied by legislation on the Irish language. Now, Michelle O'Neill, who is the, the president or uh, sorry, the vice president of Sinn Féin and the leader of Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland, is the current Deputy First Minister. But once Arlene Foster calls time on her career as First Minister, somewhat forced, um, the the Deputy First Ministership uh, is up for re-election with her. Michelle O'Neill is expected to be Sinn Féin's candidate, should they put one forward. But at the moment, it doesn't look like they're seeing eye to eye. Now, the DUP say um, <laughs> that Sinn Féin are playing fast and loose with people's lives in Northern Ireland. Uh, the DUP leadership stands resolute to enter government, respect power sharing and get on with the job. They say it is up to others to follow and the DUP say they remain committed to the new decade, new approach agreement and want to see it implemented in all its parts. That is not what Sinn Féin say um, the DUP is expected to do. Now, the DUP is expected to nominate Paul Given to be, pardon me, the new First Minister. Um, don't know too much about him. I think he's a, a former schoolmaster, I believe. Um, and he, he, yeah, he's part of uh, the Ian Paisley wing of the party. Uh, he very much has um, has well, plenty of of, uh, of credit within the party, but it is is definitely time for uh, yeah some interesting discussions because Paul Given was allegedly part of the um, the downfall of the last uh, collapse of Stormont in early twenty seventeen, um, saying. Uh, Cutting, he was part of the highly controversial decision to cut funding for the Irish language bursary scheme called Cleofa in December 2016. And that was it. The Irish Language Act um, led to the resignation of Martin McGuinness as Deputy First Minister and the end of devolution in Northern Ireland. So we have some interesting returning characters and we have a very tense situation. That's, that's, all, I, that's all I can can say uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, political dance between Sinn Féin and the DUP and I I wonder I wonder how it will end now finally uh, it is time to talk a little bit about the G7 because they've been signing off on some of their uh, uh, meetings and discussions and they have said that they have pledged 1 billion Covid vaccination doses to poor countries as a big step towards vaccinating the world um, G7 leaders have planned to supply these vaccines either directly or through the WHO's COVAX scheme. 100 million of them will be from the United Kingdom and the other six nations, uh, those being sort of the, the US, um, what is it, France, Canada, I can't name the, uh, the G7 countries, I'll have to, I'll have to come back for that. But, uh, oh no, here we are. I think, I can remember them. I think it's Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the US and 
the UK who had the honour of hosting this one down in um, in Cornwall. So you never know. Maybe I could have, have popped across the county line and had a and had a quick look. But we'll have we'll have a look. See. Anyway, uh, this big vaccine promise is is going to be a, a step in moving on internationally from coronavirus. We've seen many countries moving forward nationally. Uh, and hopefully once uh, countries have their national heads screwed on and, and sorted, then internationally we can help those less fortunate in order to make sure that this global pandemic does not have purely national after effects. Um, because it would be quite easy to see a situation in which the richest countries get away with essentially minimal damage from the coronavirus I know it's it's very hard to say minimal damage when I know what uh, the coronavirus can can do. However, in, if we take uh, health out of it, if we entirely focus on on the economy, the the richest countries will be shielded to some extent, and those poorer countries where vaccinations might be harder to uh, to source uh, will have a long shadow of coronavirus hanging over them if if we do not implement some form of scheme to make sure that the world can truly move past this global pandemic. Anyway, that is all the time we have today on the Politics Unbox podcast. So if you have enjoyed, it's enjoyed the right word for this particular episode. It wasn't a particularly cheery episode, but if you if you have found this episode interesting, please do give us a rating wherever you find these podcasts, and any feedback is more than appreciated. Uh, if you want to get in touch, the Instagram is at politics.unbox, the Facebook is politicsunbox, and the Twitter is at politicsu, which is the letter U, not the word Y-O-U. Uh, if you want to get in touch via email, you can. It's politics.unboxed at outlook.com, and our website is www.politicsunboxedpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find every episode of the podcast and the additional blog posts that I've been putting out uh, rather rather infrequently of late, but they will be back soon i hope once time gets a little bit a little bit freer anyway thank you very much for listening i hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode of the politics unbox podcast and until then goodbye mm-hmm.